One of my absolute favorite moments from the U.S. version of The Office is this aside by Kelly Kapoor after she had a little argument with her boyfriend, Daryl. Daryl Philbin is the most complicated man that I have ever met. I mean, who says exactly what they're thinking? What kind of game is that? <laughs> what kind of game is that? Who just says what's on their mind? Who just says what's on their mind? <laughs> no. And you want to know who? Do you want to know who? who? I don't know if I want to know who. President. Don't say President it. Donald oh, Trump. God. President Donald Trump says what's on his mind. And he actually gets a lot of criticism from nuclear policy experts because he does this, because he defies conventional nuclear thought. He doesn't buy into the classical nuclear diplomacy thinking. During the campaign, he made comments about South Korea and Japan getting their own nukes. He couldn't really answer questions about the nuclear triad. That's the land, sea, and air-based nukes. During an interview with CNN, he wouldn't commit to no preemptive attacks, saying, I'm not taking a card off the table. Wait, can you do, a, can you do that in a Trump voice or no? <clears throat> I, I I'm, I'm not taking a card <laughs> off the table. <laughs> I don't know how he's... Uh... That's not even close. <laughs> um, so just listen to these admittedly cherry-picked soundbites of presidents talking about nuclear weapons. We must modernize and rebuild our nuclear arsenal, hopefully never having to use it, but making it so strong and so powerful that it will deter any acts of aggression by any other nation or anyone else. They have to protect themselves. But if you say to Japan, yes, it's fine, you get nuclear weapons, South Korea, you as well, and Saudi Arabia says we can want I, them can too. Can I be honest with you? It's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen anyway. It's, it's only a question of time. To lift the specter of mass destruction, we must come together to pursue the peace and security of a world without nuclear weapons. Over the last two years, we've begun to walk down that path. The new START treaty between the United States and Russia will cut our deployed arsenals to the lowest level in half a century. And our nations are pursuing talks on how to achieve even deeper reductions. The United States remains committed to diplomacy and we will continue to protect ourselves and our interests. I reaffirm to our allies in the region, including South Korea and Japan, that the United States will meet the full range of our deterrent and security commitments. So in the theory of international relations, there are what we call liberals. And this isn't the political liberal, but it's a school of thought that focuses on mutual cooperation and human rights between countries. It's more idealistic in nature. And that's how past presidents have always sounded. On the opposite side, there's the concept of realism. In this context, it means that all international activity is geared around power, meaning that someone has to lose power and someone has to gain power. Countries will always work in their self-interest to gain more. And there's a ton of debate among scholars and professors about what side presidents sit on and how it influences their decision-making. So when Obama says, we seek a world without nuclear weapons, is that coming from a perspective of keeping the world safe? Or is that from a power perspective with the understanding that no other country could match the United States otherwise? You know, our conventional military is so strong that one of the only equalizers are nuclear weapons for smaller countries. So most of what we're saying is our opinion. 
because we won't ever actually know what President Obama is truly thinking. Even if Obama came out with a biography explaining his decisions, it's like, is he telling the truth or trying to play up the liberal idealistic side? So back to Trump. When he says something like, we're not taking any cards off the table. I would never take any of my cards off the table. How about Europe? We won't use it in Europe. I, I'm not going to take it off the table. You might use anybody. it in Europe. I, no, I don't think so. But well, I'm well, not just taking, say it. I'll look, never use it in not, Europe. I am not taking cards off the table. I'm not going to use okay. nukes, but I'm not taking okay. any cards the off trouble the table. Is, I'm not going to take any I'm cards not, off I'm the table. Any, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I, you know, when he says that, he's actually following the same path as President Obama, Bush, and Clinton. None of them actually ever took cards off the table. You know, the United States still adopts a policy of allowing nuclear first strike, unlike China, who has a policy of no first use in nuclear war. But obviously, the big difference is how they frame it. Obama talked about the world without nuclear weapons. Trump doesn't. He just says it's on the table and people are confused. What kind of game is that? What kind of game is that? I think that's so funny. <laughs> the fact that Trump doesn't pay lip service to any single old idea is part of his appeal to many voters. You know, he, sa he says it how he sees it. But traditionally, nuclear diplomacy is almost all about lip service. No one believes a country will actually ever use a nuclear weapon. So it's all about perception. Hello, everyone. This is the Nuclear Warriors podcast. I'm Alton Liu. And I'm Tammy Wynn. Today on the show, we go into the concept of signaling in nuclear diplomacy and how it impacts nuclear policy across the world. The Nuclear Warriors podcast is supported by the Reinventing Civil Defense Project and funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of the supporting organizations. Questions about the podcast or the Reinventing Civil Defense Project can be directed to Elton at NuclearWarriors.com. So we're reading this from Wikipedia. Within evolutionary biology, signaling theory is a body of work examining communication between individuals, both within species and across species. The central question is when organisms with conflicting interests should be expected to provide honest signals, no presumption being made of conscious intention, rather than cheating. That's the biological perspective. It's like when a bull lowers its horns, it's signaling it can fight. In contract theory, signaling is the idea that one party can credibly convey some information about itself to another party. That's the economist perspective. Basically like applying to a job with a resume, which is all about signaling that you're a capable, useful human being. In other words, how do you communicate? Ba basically. And it sounds simple. <laughs> it sounds simple, but it's really not. Because communication is about words and intent. And we can all hear the words people say, but the intent behind them can never really be truly known. You know, so another important part is the idea of credibility. How much do people trust what you say? Or how believable are you? And then it's important for the person receiving the signal to understand and not misinterpret. Applying to jobs is a good example of this. Your resume is basically a signal to an employer that, yes, I can do this job better than anyone else. 
you know, all of the information you put down, whether it's your education or work experience, are all meant to signal that you can do the job. Unless your resume sucks because formatting issues or spelling things wrong weakens the credibility of your resume. Oh, oh, no. (laughs) The height of, I guess, signaling that I'm not fit for a job. This is actually, we're not even put it in. But in junior year, when I was applying to internships, Mm -hmm. I spelled my email wrong. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I spelled my email wrong. And I was like, I don't deserve anything. (laughs) And I also didn't, I didn't get anything either. So, you know, signal was properly conveyed, I guess. Yeah, okay, whatever. You know, and, and, <laughs> and, and after all that, you have to rely on the hiring manager understanding the signals in your resume. And this is highly dependent on whoever is reading it. They might not know the school that you went to, or they might not understand the significance of your previous work. So even if you did valuable work, that signal can get lost in an application. Signal, credibility, and understanding. What's the relation in nuclear policy, though? No country will make a rational decision to use nukes unless they feel there are no other options. And there are usually other options. So instead, we have this arsenal of nuclear weapons that aren't technically being used. So the question is, how do you use nuclear weapons to gain something when you can't actually use them to blow someone up? And that's what we call nuclear diplomacy. And it basically happens mostly through negotiation or signaling. Back during the Cold War, the United States really didn't want to get hit with a nuclear weapon. And we're still here, so that's probably a reasonable success. And the United States managed to not get hit by building out nuclear forces into the nuclear triad to ensure that we could respond to any type of Soviet attack. And then the U.S. and the Soviets both went through this massive arms race to basically signal that any attack against them would be met with complete annihilation. It's a lot more complicated than that now because there's more than two countries that have nuclear weapons, and this makes the signaling all the more complicated. Remarkably, North Korea might be the best at using nuclear weapons to gain something. There's been a long period since 2003 of North Korea building weapons and testing nuclear bombs. This signals to the world that their program is expanding despite sanctions and other actions to try and stop it. But then the North Koreans always signal later on that they're willing to pull back. And once they gain something from pulling back, they basically do it again, whether it be firing a missile over Japan or testing another nuclear bomb. And I think the pinnacle of North Korean nuclear diplomacy was the meeting with Trump. You know, there was some opinion that an official visit by the president proved that North Korean strategy worked. They had the Americans come on an official visit. And the question is, what does that signal to the rest of the world? That maybe if you're belligerent and build weapons against international agreements you can have the United States treat you with respect. We've said that nuclear policy experts dislike Trump because he defies convention. It doesn't seem like he appreciates the nuances of nuclear diplomacy. This is obvious from his fire and fury comments. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. People freaked out about this because it's such a departure from anything the U.S. has stated in the past. And, okay, we agree that presidents should probably act with more restraint, but all things considered, 
Is there any question that Obama wouldn't respond just as forcefully as Trump would in the event of a North Korean attack? While the signal is a little bit different, a more presidential statement might be, the United States is considering a range of options to deal with any North Korean adversarial actions. But really, the understanding is the same on the North Korean side either way. If they attack, we respond. The point we're trying to make is that signaling is something we should worry about when it makes actual material changes on the current international landscape, and that understanding what countries are trying to signal is more important than what they actually do. In terms of nuclear diplomacy, Trump doesn't send any signals that people didn't already know about in terms of nuclear weapons. He tweeted about the size of his nuclear button, but really, that's just going to be a footnote in history. And there are other things he said, whether through interviews or in the administration's nuclear posture review, that sound more aggressive than we like. You know, he stated that he wants to be unpredictable, that he wants to modernize the arsenal, whatever. And modernizing was something Obama also argued for. So these Trump statements, no matter how aggressive, don't actually change anything because other countries' understanding of the signal didn't change. You know, these aren't new ideas in any way. It's just different in the way Trump verbalized them. What we tend to worry about more is when the administration says or wants to do something that could materially change the international order. So his statements early in the campaign on being comfortable with Japan and South Korea having nukes, that's something to actually worry about. And again, we're not making a claim of whether that's good or bad. What we want is for you or the media to evaluate the policy on its merit. You know, and doing so allows us to understand why we do the things we do in the first place. So let's consider what the United States nuclear defense in Japan and South Korea does. It buys us power and influence in Asia, which isn't as tangible as money, but might be more important. It also keeps the number of nuclear weapons low. And on the flip side, signaling that Japan and South Korea can build weapons might actually lead them to actually building them which would lead to some measure of instability in Asia, you know, which might be good or bad depending on your perspective. And it might also lead to the proliferation of more nuclear weapons, which probably isn't good. And it might take the United States out of the region completely. And that might be good or bad depending on your viewpoints. We're not here to talk about whether or not someone supports Trump, but we are here to talk about what to worry about or what you shouldn't worry about. So... Can you summarize this for us, Elton? Yes, I can do that. This is uh, my soapbox time. President Trump has these two policies that we want to talk about and that we, that we actually worry about. And so the first one is that he wants to increase the arsenal. More nukes. And the basic question we have to ask is, does increasing the number of nuclear weapons from 6,000 to 12,000 make a valuable contribution to American strategic goals in the world. And I don't think so, because functionally, there's not really a difference between the two when we're talking about a confrontation with a country. We can't actually ever use nuclear weapons in a real war, and nuclear diplomacy is just as effective whether we have 6,000 or 20,000 nukes. It's still overwhelming power. The second concern is the president's push for new tactical nukes. And tactical are smaller, lower-yield nukes. And the general idea behind these are that you might be able to use them in a limited regional conflict. 
You know, they're basically smaller nukes. And we don't, we don't like this because they hand a signal to other countries that it's okay to build these tactical nukes as well. And if they do, it limits the ability of our normal conventional military. And I really like the strength of American conventional military. There's no comparison across the world. We're, we're really able to do a lot more because of how powerful we are. But building these tactical nukes essentially gives more countries a way to balance those scales a little bit. And I don't, I don't like that. It's not something that I think we should be doing. Again, while we are not beginners, we are also not experts, so take everything we say with a grain of salt. And want to emphasize again, because this was a dangerous episode, nothing we said reflects the opinions of the Carnegie Corporation of New York or the Reinventing Civil Defense Project. This is all us. Uh, If you want to discuss some of these American strategic goals through nuclear weapons, you can email us at alton at nuclearwarriors.com. You can find everything we had for this episode in the show notes at nuclearwarriors.com. Thanks everyone for listening. Talk to you next time.